to this episode of the NLN podcast, Nursing Edge Unscripted, The Surface Track. Unscripted Conversation Surface joins two adventurous nurse educators, Dr. Rachel Nello and Dr. Michelle Moulton, as we reach beyond the surface to uncover stories from the trenches of education that feature the challenges and vulnerable moments that occur right at the novel edge of innovation. Our conversations will unpack how to transcend challenges and reveal ways to grow and thrive within the context of the NLN core values. This episode is entitled Big Wisdom in Small Packages, where we unpack the more subtle art of teaching and mentoring. Today, we focus on the teaching experience of Dr. Susan Binden, who is an Associate Professor and Associate Dean for Faculty Development at the University of Maryland School of Nursing in Baltimore, Maryland. Dr. Binden has nearly 30 years in teaching and leadership experience in both the clinical practice and professional development area and in academic graduate nursing education. If I had to sum up Susan's experience in just a few words, I would say she's a teacher's teacher. So thank you, welcome Susan, and thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, thank you. That's very, very kind to hear. And I'm delighted to be here today and, and talk with both of you, so thank you. Thank you. And you know, I wanted to also share with you, Susan, that um, I think you and I have known each other for more than a few minutes. <laughs> in fact, I think we're now in the double digit years. And this morning I was actually, it was making me kind of laugh because I was thinking about when people celebrate wedding anniversaries, they have, I think, milestones and you use a certain memento to celebrate. And I think it starts with like paper right. and it ends up in like gold and platinum and metal things. So I was curious, Susan, where do you think we are in that celebration? <laughs> are we at paper or are we at metal yet? I don't know. Definitely on paper. That's such a fun question. I know we've had uh, children and all kinds of different milestones in the meantime. Um, what would we call it? Um, oh, gee. I'll have, to, I'll have to think on that one. Let's call it champagne. I, I, I could always go for that. All right. That's perfect. All right. Bubbles. I'm all about it. And Rachel, we're almost at our double digits too, I think. Like we're getting close. I think we are. So I'll share in that champagne. That sounds like a good idea. Maybe you and I are, are beer. I don't know. <laughs> We're like a step step below. You know, I think it would be helpful to give our listeners some context of why we called this episode Big Wisdom in Small Packages. And so, you know, as Michelle and I were talking one day, we were thinking about our mentors over our experience so far in our career. And Susan, your name rose to the top very quickly as someone who has been incredibly influential in shaping us as educators. And really the remarkable thing about it is, and speaking for Michelle and myself, it was never formal. Like, I don't think we were ever assigned to be mentor mentee in a relationship. It was just sort of this organic, natural thing that sort of came about through hallway conversations or catching up after a faculty meeting or popping into one another's offices. And, you know, in those sort of 10 minute interactions, uh, Michelle and I were talking about how you imparted on us wisdom that was more influential and impactful than, you know, six months of meetings with a career coach. And, you know, I can honestly say that because I've had a career coach. 
So we were thinking, you know, how great would it be if we could capture these nuggets of wisdom and share them and in essence, give our listeners a hallway conversation with you. So that's how we saw this unfolding. That's very fun. That's a, that's a fun idea. And I think, you know, that, you know, how nurses have intuition where you'll be documenting and you say, I think I need to go down to 72 right now. I'm not sure why. And I've found that with time is kind of teacher intuition um, or colleague intuition. I don't know, but it's like, I think I need to go for coffee the long way and stop by and see so-and-so. And I think maybe that's just because I need some distraction, but I, I find that that, that happens. And when I, when I feel that I go seek out that person and usually there's a nugget there or we find one. So it's, it's fun. I have personally been on the receiving end of those intuit, intuitive visits of Susan Binden, where you kind of peek your head in the door frame and I'm like, thank goodness. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> and it's such a gift. So that's, I think that's, that's pretty cool. Thank you. So I'd like to start our simulated hallway conversation, if that's okay. And, you know, I think back and one of the most, um, the, the things that most resonates with, with me was probably a conversation we had six or seven years ago. Um, and, and to capture sort of these big, you know, metacognitive juicy concepts that you put into nuggets that I endearingly call Susanisms. Um, the one that you imparted on me was in an instance, particularly where I was really struggling with imposter syndrome. Mm. And you said a lot of great things to me, but one of the things that has stuck with me is, and I'm taking some paraphrasing liberties here, um, it's one thing to do it when the water's calm, but it's an entirely different thing to do it when the water is choppy. And that has been such an anchor for me and so many moments in my career over the last six or seven years since we had that conversation that I think a lot of people could benefit from hearing more about that. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about that calm water versus choppy water analogy and sort of how it can apply to our practice as educators. Mm. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes I like that word anchor that you used. You just need, you just need an anchor, whether it's a phrase or a mantra or a, a tool or a, a joke or a story or something. But, but I think that calm water, choppy water is about having a plan or a frame and being able to stay very flexible within the frame. And I'm a huge proponent of that. And, starting with a goal. So the goal is to get across the, the pond, lake, regardless of the weather, with everyone still on board, everybody's safe, right? And relatively on time, that's the goal. And however you get there. Um, and I think as the captain of the ship or the pilot, however, what analogy, remaining calm um, is, is paramount. Just remaining calm, um, no matter what's going on underneath the water, like the ducks might be frantic underneath, but letting the learners or the students know that you're, you're in charge, you've got this. Um, you're not sure what plan B or C or D or E is, but you, you've got one. And just kind of, just kind of articulating that and saying, boy, this was unexpected. Let's try this. And, and having something in your back pocket, um, it's a silly thing. I call it an expandable waistband activity or idea. Just have it in there because you're, you're going to need it and you'll, you'll thank yourself. But, but, and not being surprised by that need saying, Oh, here it is. Oh, here it is. I didn't know if it would be the first hour or the second week, but Oh, there it is. And, and be ready for those storms and, and expect, you know, unexpected events. And, 
and again, let the students know that that they're going to be okay. They're going to get what they need one way or another. So um, I, I hope that's helpful, but it's, it's about staying, staying nimble and uh, staying on track. And one of my mentors loves to say, Kath, Dr. Kathy Gaberson loves to say, um, there's more than one way to get to Walmart. <laughs> and, and I love that. And say that out loud to students because students don't expect it to be perfect. They expect to be human and, and say, oh, we're going to go to Walmart a different way or whatever you, analogy. But just kind of having that um, no surprise is a surprise kind of mm, at least persona might be helpful. You know what? I, I love what you just said, um, Susan, about starting with the goal and that you used a lake or a pond as an analogy and not an ocean. Right. Right. <laughs> Another Susanism um, I'm pretty sure I've heard more than once was um, start small, right? Yeah. It's a lot easier to weather a storm in a pond <laughs> versus weathering a hurricane in an ocean. Yeah. Um, and I do think about that in our work as nurse educators in academia, that we can find ourselves in an ocean pretty quickly. Um, I'll speak for myself, I definitely have found myself in an ocean and it's hard to weather those waves that keep coming. Um, if you're not, you know, a, a, an avid swimmer during a hurricane, if you're not trained for that. So um, I appreciate that, that kind of wisdom as well. I agree. And you know, something else that you made me think of when you were talking was the importance of having a really clear vision of your teaching philosophy. Because mm -hmm. I think that when you're trying to weather the storm or you're trying to get through choppy waters and get back to calm waters, I think that the decisions we make in flight in the moment can really be guided by a real clear understanding of our own teaching philosophy. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I completely agree. And um, pilots have a little mantra, and I think I have this right. It's aviate navigate, communicate, I think in that order, or maybe it's an aviate, communicate, navigate. But what I love about that is they say altitude gives you options, right? So, so stay in the air, stay in the air or on the lake or whatever, but uh, altitude gives you options. And that's helpful too, just to think about, uh, okay, we'll keep this moving and we'll have options, but communicate and navigate getting to the goal. And I think that is such a, a fun way to think about it. Um, again, as, as the, the pilot or the captain of the ship. And uh, we could go on and on, have the lifeboats, have a second in command, all those things. But um, it's, it's fun to think about, or helpful, I think, to think about having options. You know, another thing um, that I, I heard you say in the very beginning too, is having a, a little bit of a structure or a framework and a starting mm -hmm. place. And for me, um, another thing that I've, I've learned from our um, relationship and our work together is one time you told me to start with three words. Yeah. So when I was transitioning from a bedside nurse to um, a more formal uh, coaching, teaching, even a little bit of a leadership role, but I was doing that transition within the same unit and mm -hmm. so I was presented with challenges um, of how to define my role and how to more importantly communicate my role transition to people when I was being pulled to say, hey, can you run charge? But that wasn't, you know, I was supposed to be coaching and teaching. And um, the words you gave me at that time to give an example was my role is, right? Not, that's not my job, but <laughs> my role is, right. or, 
here's, um, I can help by doing yeah. X, Y, and Z. So what you gave me in, in those mentorship conversations were three words to hang on to. Mm-hmm. And I have learned to take that three word approach, no matter what the three words are and translate that into so many other, uh, you know, experiences or realms or transitions. Um, and I always, I even teach with my students, you know, if you're doing CPR, just know the first three steps. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that is all you need or just three things or three words. Um, so what are your thoughts about that, Susan? It, yeah, it's helpful. And, you know, if you only, if you keep, keep it to three words, then that allows you to listen. And that's how we learn by listening. But, but, but just saying out loud, my job is, or my role is, it's a signal to your listener, but it's also a signal to yourself to remind you, like it, it gives you a little bit of fortitude, I think, to say, well, my job is. And if you've had teenagers, you know, it comes in really handy <laughs> to say my, my job is to, to, to enforce the rules or whatever. But it does give you a little bit of confidence and again, strength to go forth. And it, it helps frame things. Anytime you can frame something, take, take that whole buffet down to an appetizer or, you know, just, just the appetizer section. It helps to, to say, um, I'm not sure I'm able to do that, but what I can do is this, what I can do, that's four words, but, um, those kinds of entries And another thing that I think is helpful as you're stepping into a new role or transitioning is to be able to say, um, from a blank perspective, from an educator's perspective, or from a financial perspective, from a um, resource perspective. And, and that just helps you frame your thoughts. And um, again, to, to the, whoever's listening to you and also to yourself kind of keeps you on track. So I find it, I find it helpful. And for students going into a room and just terrified to talk to a patient, just saying my, my name is, you know, is a place to start or I'm here to um, get some started. That is so helpful. See, that that's even more new wisdom just coming out um, that I'm receiving uh, because we wear many hats, right? When we are, um, especially as we grow in our professions and as a nurse, as a nurse educator, um, we have many roles. So to really be very clear about what you're your role is or what your perspective is or how you're responding to a situation or a conversation adds so much clarity. clarity. I can also see this being really helpful for faculty who may encounter themselves in a role conflict, right? So um, a lot of times we see faculty who are maybe students at the same institution where they're teaching or um, perhaps our students who do tech work on a unit that then they later are having to do a rotation on. I see this as being a skill that vocabulary folks can use, particularly to help clear up some role confusion in those situations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm, today, I'm here to learn, right? I'm here to learn. So being able to say something like that. So, so I'd like to uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about Um, some more of the seemingly small things that um, teachers or faculty do that can help students in really big ways. And I'd like to start talking about some of these nuanced teaching skills in the context of the traditional classroom environment. And one skill that I've come to appreciate um, in my, my 10 or so years of experience in teaching is the art of reading a room. Mm. Um, kind of reading the students' vibes, their energy level. 
and really uh, learning how to respond in an effective way. Um, and I've, I've learned this through my experience um, in, in really, in when, when I don't read the room well or when <laughs> students don't respond well to how I've, I've responded to them, um, you know, those experiences really uh, make an impression as a teacher, especially as a novice teacher. So yeah. I'm curious if you could share a little bit about your experience, Susan, on how we as teachers can titrate our teaching to meet students where they are. Uh, I, I love your use of the word titrate there because I think we've talked about education, the five rights of education, like medication, you know, maybe there's a six right there, but, you know, is it the right content in the right format at the right time in the right dose at the right level from the right person and is this what they need and um i'm always very conscious of it's not about what we know right it's about what the students need to know and so reading that room is is critical or auditorium or whatever um is critical to see where the students are and i've learned over time if I'm consistent, that's one variable that I can not worry about, right? So I, I don't need to worry about myself that day. I'll take myself out of the picture because I can try to be steady and reflect what they need. But but yeah, um, you know, if there's something socially going on, it's important to, to mention that and see how they are. Um, sometimes I ask the students for a group, how are you one through 10? And I'll have them rate themselves. That, that gives me a quick assessment of how they are and where they are. Um, but also the energy of the room. If they're, if I, if you come in guns ablazing, I think sometimes, a that's really hard to keep up for an hour. B it's exhausting to the learners. I think to be super exuberant because um, that that's hard to keep up. Also watch the students if they're if they're super excited, go with it if you can. Right. If they're a catatonic, you're going to want to stop what you're doing and, and change, change something up. And that's just good teaching anyway. Every 10 or 15 minutes, try something new. Um, but reflect their energy. Um, you can comment on it, I think. But I know what's deadly is to say, um, you guys are quiet today. That's almost deadly because that guarantees that no one's going to say anything. So I've learned to say things like, you guys are thinking hard today. I like it. And then wait. And then somebody will will perk up and, and, and chime in. I also, just to be silly, I'll say for 35,000 points, who can tell me the thing they should be most worried about or whatever, make it, make, make it a fun question. But yeah, the energy of the room is super important. And there's a quote that I love. It says, you never step in the same river twice, right? So even if you've taught this course or this workshop 25 times in the same room to the same level of students, they're never, you never can step in the same stream twice because that water is gone. You're a different person, even if it's the next day. So don't be, you know, we don't want to be too mechanical or um, um, highly processed. You, you have to be confident enough to go with it and, and see what they need because each, each group will need something different. So I hope that answered, that was a little bit roundabout, but, but just reading that room and, and not just the center of the room, not just the right front quarter of the room, the corners of the room, um, the individuals in the room and the group itself, two different things. Um, and I think being mindful of that is important too, so. Uh, you know, what comes to my mind um, 
is one of the very first things you said was that, you know, I can be consistent for the students. Yeah. One less thing I need to worry about and I can be steady. Yeah. I really so appreciate that. And I, and, and I also wonder what's hap what happens when we don't feel steady or we don't feel consistent. It's week seven or eight in the semester, which I think we are around right now. Um, and you're not feeling as cons consistent or steady. Um, what are some things as, as a teacher that we can do to help help us enter that space, that learning space with our students to be that consistent, steady person that they need? Oh, that's, that's a tough one. Um, I think, I think letting them know you, um, being authentic, um, you know, you can vary a little bit from that baseline, but, and maybe just letting them, just conveying to them that um, week seven midterm is hard for students. It's tough on, tough on instructors too. I remember telling in class once, they, they were like, oh, I'm so glad we got our case studies and thank goodness that's over. And I said, you realize when you hit send, those case studies come to me, <laughs> right? <laughs> so just kind of, you know, collegially and as a we, you know, if you, if you, if you think of your class or your course as a we, yeah, you're going to, you're going to stray a little bit from baseline, but, um, but not too much, but letting them know that, um, we're human too. I think that's probably the best we can do. But but be prepared. I'm a huge believer in being as prepared as possible because that lets us be um, flexible. It sounds like the opposite, but it's true. Anything that looks easy, it's because there's a ton of work and preparation that's gone into it. So that preparation will allow for those fluctuations, I think. I, uh, I appreciate the the authenticity. And I always think of myself, one, one way I think I also try to stay consistent with the students and stay aligned with them is I try to picture myself as sort of shoulder to shoulder with students, really looking at the situation at hand. Yeah. So the case study, right? So I have my, again, my role is with the right. <laughs> And then you have your role is with the case study, but the case study, the learning. Right. It's not about the case study, but the learning is what we we both together through our different perspectives and our different roles. That's what we are trying to tackle. And so that's what I mean by kind of partnering and kind of getting shoulder to shoulder with the students to share in that experience. And and of course, there is a dynamic, I think, between teacher and student, you know, one person's grading and the other person's getting a grade. Right. And we, right. we don't want to dismiss that or or not acknowledge that situation. But I think the more we can be authentic and partnering with the students to achieve the learning together mm -hmm. through our different perspectives can be helpful. Mm -hmm. yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think your, your use of the term perspective is another thing we can do. You know, if, 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 if as you read the room, it's, they're awfulizing and you can just see this, you know, adding perspective is so important, um, helping them you know, regain perspective, maybe change their lens a tiny bit is a, is a huge thing I think faculty can help students with too, yeah. You said something really interesting, Michelle, that brought me back to something one of my mentors told me when I was working on my doctoral work, which was, you know, this idea of this power structure between instructor, faculty, and student. 
And in that process of my doctoral work, I was always interested in like, how do we disable this power structure? How do we, you know, sort of change the, the playing field a bit? And she said something really profound to me. And Susan, you were actually on my dissertation committee. You may remember this. She said to me, well, um, you, that you're never going to change that. You can't change and disable that power structure, but you can leverage it for good. Mm -hmm. So even though I have expertise and, and a role, my role here is being really clear, connecting it to, to help you be successful, to scaffold the learning in a way that you can be successful if you come to the table and engage in the work of learning. Um, and I think that speaks to this perspective and transparency and authenticity and how we set that learning container for our students and then hold it throughout the trajectory of our relationship with them in the learning environment. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's comforting and safe and it's fair and it's right. And it's, uh, with, it's one of those things you don't notice it until it's not there. And, and when, you know, when someone says, where's the contain, where's the safety here? But establishing that up front is critical. So. so we want to be conscious of our time boundaries. This conversation could go on and it will. We'll pick up with our conversation with Dr. Susan Benden on the topics of big wisdom and small packages in our next episode. And we hope you'll join us next time on the NLN Nursing Edge Unscripted Surface Podcast. Until then, be well.